In August of 1969, over 500,000 people, most under the age of 30, made their way to Yasker's farm in upstate New York and spent a weekend celebrating the age of Aquarius in an outdoor music festival known as Woodstock. About eight months later, Wisconsin had its own outdoor music festival attended by somewhere between 20 and 30,000 with some estimates of up to 100,000 at Granny York's farm located just outside Poinette, Wisconsin, about 35 miles north of Madison. Known as Soundstorm, the festival featured the Grateful Dead and about three dozen other bands offering continuous music for three days. Hello, and welcome back to Meyer Fun Facts. This is a special edition created at the request of Meyer Fun Facts maniac, John. I'm Steve Meyer, and this podcast is my retirement project. Meyer Fun Facts dares to ask the question, who needs Google when you have Steve Meyer? Because I'm a recovering attorney, and because we're still in the beginning episodes, I need to give you the disclaimer that any fact I've labeled as a Meyer Fun Fact does not have guaranteed accuracy. It's just something I firmly believe to be true. You can subscribe to Meyer Fun Facts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you've got a topic you want to hear me talk about, shoot it over to me at MeyerFacts, M-E-Y-E-R-F-A-C-T-S, at gmail.com. You can also stay up to date with me on my Twitter account, at MeyerFunFacts. Now, let's get into our third episode, Soundstorm 1970, How the Grateful Dead Came to Wisconsin, The Backstory. How did I first learn about Soundstorm? It was June 1977. I had completed my first year of law school and just landed a legal clerkship with attorneys Jack Van Meter, John Hansen, and their law firm. It was the very first day of work, and I was given a critical assignment at about 11.30 a.m. Since everyone else in the office was going out for lunch, I was to handle the phones. About halfway through the lunch hour, the phone rang. The person on the other end of the line seemed to be speaking through a voice 
modulator. After a brief exchange, that person identified themselves as Bobo. I took the message. When the office returned from lunch, I gave the message and spoke with our lead secretary. Who is Bobo? A smile crossed her face and she replied, Bobo is Peter Obranovich. We represented him and his company, Golden Freak Enterprises, Inc., and helped them put on a music festival called Soundstorm in 1970 at Granny York's farm. A number of questions immediately crossed my mind. What was Soundstorm? Who is Granny York? And where was her farm? I learned that the farm offered horseback riding to the public. So I drove up to Granny's one weekend to check it out. Her farm was located to the northwest of the village of Poinette. All in all, it was about 600 acres in size. Interestingly enough, the same size as Yasker's farm in Woodstock. There were undulating hills bordered by woods with a large natural amphitheater. Upon arrival, I met a family member of Granny's and briefly discussed the festival. During the conversation, I was told that the farm had been one of the locations considered for the construction of the state capital of Wisconsin. This fact became a long-standing Meyer fun fact. As I rode through the hills and the woods, I repeatedly thought about how things would have looked if the land had been selected as the state capital, and alternatively imagined how the concert would have looked when it did take place. In preparation for this podcast, I decided to check the validity of this Meyer fun fact. That is, that the state capitol was almost placed at Granny York's farm. Madison was chosen as the state capitol in 1836. At the time, Madison did not exist as a real town. It had been planted, but was uninhabitable swampland. One of its main competitors was also a non-existent town known as Wisconsinapolis. The surveyor who platted Wisconsinapolis asserted that it was located at the point where Duck Creek flowed into the Wisconsin River. This is approximately 
four and a half miles north northwest of Granny York's farm. While there's an element of truth in this old Meyer fun fact, in the interest of accuracy, I need to abandon it. The full story behind the selection of Madison as the state capital is just wild and worth one's time to check it out. Bribes, kickbacks, and the shooting of a fellow legislator are just some of the highlights. Regardless of Granny York's suitability for the location of the state capitol, it was a premier location, borderline idyllic, to have a week-long music fest, a weekend-long music festival. Why then did the tickets for the festival not mention or identify Granny York's farm as the location for the festival? The answer to that question when we return. The tickets for the music festival did not identify or mention Granny York's farm as the location, nor is there any other directional information on the ticket, such as Poinette, Wisconsin. The location was simply described as the, quote, Aquarian Express Farm, end quote, Madison, Wisconsin. There was a very good strategic reason for this omission. According to Attorney John Hansen, they, meaning Bobo and his lawyers, were worried that too early of a notice that the festival would be held at Granny York's would allow the village of Poinette and Columbia County too much time to organize in opposition to the festival and secure a court-ordered injunction to stop it. This fear turned out to be well-founded. The village and the county filed a complaint with the court seeking to stop the festival as soon as its location became public. The hearing on the village and county's complaint was held April 22, 1970, just two days before the music was set to begin. Semis and trucks bearing electronic equipment were already on the road, destined for Granny York's farm. The pressure was on attorney Jack Van Meter, upon whom the entire festival rested. He rose to the occasion. For years early in my legal career, 
I was regaled with stories from lawyers who claimed to have been at that particular hearing. The consensus was that it was some of the finest lawyering they had ever seen. Jack had found a legal hook to prevail, focusing on how the land belonging to Granny York had been zoned. Simultaneously, he had addressed the political concerns surrounding the festival by detailing such things as medical services that would be available and a retained security apparatus designed to ensure the safety of the village, which in fact, most of the security personnel were striking teaching assistants from the University of Wisconsin. The case was heard by Judge Robert Gomar, who he himself had been a circus performer for the Ringling Brothers Circus out of Baraboo. Many stories about what Gomer said at the hearing abound, a number generated by Gomar himself. Hands down, my favorite was the one told to me by Jack. He told me that Gomer stated at the end of the hearing the following. If the county thinks that they are going to convince this old circus performer to stop a circus from going forward, they are sadly mistaken. Whatever Gomer's exact words were, the bottom line was that the injunction sought by the county and the village was denied and the festival could go forward as planned. With the court case behind them, Golden Freak and its lawyers could focus on the festival itself. The weather cooperated. The temperatures hit the high 70s on Friday, April 24th, the first day of the concert. Fortunately, the weather held for the entire weekend, as many of the concert goers had set up tents and camped on the grounds. There really wasn't any hotel lodging nearby. The attendees included bikers, hippies, dropouts, college students, and even solitary wanderers. At the start of the concert, Irene York, AKA Granny, was introduced to the crowd. 79 years old, her independence streak and love of young people had persevered against bitterness and fear prevalent among the surrounding community concerning the festival. She was greeted with a roar of approval 
and the consummate sign of respect by the concert goers when they flick their lighters in recognition of her efforts. Tears streamed down her face. For the next 50 continuous hours, 36 different bands played, entertaining those in attendance. Mason Prophet, Luther Allison, Crew out of Minneapolis, Soup from Appleton, Fuse out of Rockford, who shortly thereafter morphed into the band known as Cheap Trick. Illinois Speed Press, featuring Paul Cotton, who ended up playing for Poco, and Baby Huey, all performed to the delight of tens of thousands. But the featured act, The Grateful Dead, was held until the end. Scheduled to play one set for 50 minutes on late Sunday afternoon, the dead got into their performance and in their terms, groove for five hours until 7.30 that night. How was it that the Grateful Dead agreed to play in Wisconsin? The reason was simply Bobo. Claiming he was from the planet Earth, he arrived in Madison on his Harley in 1969. Bobo had spent a portion of the 60s being a roadie for the dead on the West Coast and living at Ken Kesey's farm outside of Eugene, Oregon, in a town called Pleasant Hill. Yes, that's the same Ken Kesey who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and was the subject of Tom Wolfe's seminal book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Kesey and his followers, known as the Merry Pranksters, traveled the West Coast, encouraging the use of LSD to expand people's consciousness. Bobo's relationship with the dead facilitated not only their appearance, but an agreement to play at a discount, freeing up funds to allow Bobo to secure the other bands that played. Flyers printed and distributed after the location of the concert became public. Recall, there was no social media then, or computers, cell phones, or the internet. Identified the headline act as being the Grateful Dead and an appearance by Ken Kesey at what they called Mount York. The dead showed up and did not disappoint. Kesey reportedly did not attend, but a myth persists that at one point during the concert, he flew over the crowd in a helicopter, throwing hits of LSD from the cockpit. This myth has never been substantiated, but 
helicopter flights did occur, one of which distributed flyers asking concert goers to stay cool and not harm suspected undercover police officers circulating in the crowd. Despite the heavy use of marijuana and LSD by the crowd, no arrests were made. Simply, no incidents occurred during those three days warranting law enforcement intervention. The Columbia County Sheriff, who had a command center nearby with hundreds, hundreds of officers ready to respond, publicly marveled afterwards about how well-behaved the crowd was for the weekend. He even drew a contrast with the trouble he would have expected with a large gathering of middle-aged drunks. When we come back, the epilogue. Golden Freak Enterprises and its lawyers lost money on the concert. This was due to two primary reasons. The first was that many of the concert goers snuck into the grounds without paying. The second was that collected cash receipts totaling approximately $100,000 turned up missing. The money had been placed in a suitcase stored in the sound trailer behind the stage. When the lawyers went to retrieve the suitcase at the completion of the performance by the Grateful Dead, it was missing. A financial backer of the festival, Farmer in the Dell, Inc., filed suit against attorneys Van Meter and Hansen, alleging that the cash had been buried underneath a concrete patio that attorney Hansen had recently poured at his personal residence. The allegation was untrue and nothing came of the lawsuit. Four days after the completion of the concert, President Nixon announced the invasion of Cambodia, resulting in mass protest across the country. Eight days later, on May 4th, four students were killed by, National Guard, by the National Guard during one of those protests at Kent State University. On August 24, 1970, Sterling Hall, located on the UW campus, was bombed, killing a research assistant. The age of Aquarius was over. In 1972, the Grateful Dead played for a fundraiser to save the farm belonging to Ken Casey. And shortly thereafter, their keyboardist, Pigpen McKernan, passed away. Garcia himself 
Jerry Garcia, the lead of the Grateful Dead, died in 1995. Granny York passed away in 1991 at the spry age of 100. Attorneys Van, Jack Van Meter died in July of 2013 and attorney Hansen in January of 2014. Bobo passed in 2018. I have always wondered what was the connection between Granny York, Bobo, and Attorney Van Meter. The answer has been lost to history. That concludes this episode of Meyer Fun Facts. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you'll be back next week. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget, you can email me topic suggestions at meyerfacts at gmail.com. I have already gotten no less than four or five additional suggestions from Meyer Fun Fact Maniacs. You can also get my random thoughts on my Twitter page at Meyer Fun Facts. A quick reminder that any fact I've labeled as a Meyer Fun Fact does not guarantee accuracy. I've had a blast talking about Soundstorm 1970 with you. And quite frankly, I wish I had more time as there is so much more to say. But in any event, I'll see you next week.